Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Your hosts, Nick Wagner and Joshua Johnson, have been described as not blowhards. Join them as they discuss the matters at the heart of the Dynasty community. From rookie advice to trade analysis, plant your flag here. This is the Dynasty Pulse, presented by DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse. Um, that was our new intro. I'm not sold on it. A little atmospheric. Um, and yes, we have, in case you heard, thought you heard that wrong, we have been described as one of our loyal listeners as not blowhards. That's why he likes us. So <laughs> I guess that's our big compliment, Nick. What do you think? <laughs> that sounds good to me. I, I, I dig the uh, special effect you had on the voice there. It kind of goes good with the whole Dynasty Pulse theme. Ah, well, there you go. See me? Maybe I'm just too critical of myself. But anyway, that was about take 167. Uh, I think I forgot to introduce us, so podcast has failed so far. But anyway, I'm Joshua Johnson. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins Wagner. And I I got a question that's been burning in my head, Nick, and I just haven't been able to ask you. I just keep forgetting about it. You know, the big thing during the summer here when you're grilling out is getting those Hawaiian style buns. Is that really a thing over there? Or, or, or is it just a, a thing that they invented for us Midwesterners? Oh, the Cape Hawaiian buns? Yeah, yeah. People eat those out here, too. Good good stuff. Uh, good for you, too, I think. There's no butter in them, I heard. So, yeah, they're good for you. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Um, we got a great show for you today. We're going to do a little throwback to the 70s as uh, uh, Ricky Cobb from the Super 70s Sports podcast joins us here in about 30 minutes uh i got a good for or against our new segment as we look at philip Dorsett's some obviously some dynasty trade analysis some bold predictions dynasty dilemma two quarterbacks again this week as we look at Derek carr versus Jameis winston uh some rookie bust candidates and we have some email questions about some uh, rookie linebackers as well, and of course we have best number forty-four. I think there was a guy for the Redskins that wore forty-four one time. I guess we'll have Nick address that here in a little bit. But anyway, um, I also have a new clip for for or against. Um, let my son in charge of this one, so I'm not going to be responsible for it if if you people don't like. It. But anyway, listen. It's time for. Or okay, uh, he's really into pop music, so I could not tell you what song that is, but uh, he, he thought it was pretty cool, and I, I kind of like it myself. Anyway, uh, let's get into this, Nick. Uh, so this is a new segment we're doing where we each come with five talking points while we pick a side for or against this player. Um, last week we had a good one with Amir Abdullah, so I thought we would give it another shot. Um, keep controversial players here in mind. If there's ever anybody you would like to see us discuss in the format, please, uh, give me or Nick a shout on, uh, Twitter. You can find me at Josh underscore DFW Pulse, or you can find Nick at Nick underscore DFW Pulse. So uh, I want and I want to send a shout out to my buddies at the Black Hole Banter podcast who sent me a shout out on their last podcast. Uh, 
after they interviewed Cliff Ranch and Michael Haynes, they uh, they gave me a shout out and said my Twitter name too. So I appreciate that over there with uh, James and Q. Q has of course been on the podcast here before. Anyway, Nick has four. Philip Dorsett and I have again. So we'll let Nick go uh, first. What do you got for us, please? Well, when you look at Philip Dorsett, the first thing you notice is his speed. He ran a 4.3340. Uh, very few guys have that kind of speed. And he's not one of those 5'7, 5'8, 4'3 guys. He's 5'10, which is really good size for a guy with those kind of wheels. Um, he's clearly blocked right now by TY and Moncrief. Thus, I think his targets will be limited. But he does have really good value right now as DFW's wide receiver number 49. That's way more long-term upside than guys that are ranked higher than him, guys like Travis Benjamin, Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Crabtree. If I'm looking long-term, I'm going Philip Dorsett over those guys. Over Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Legend, how dare you? Um, Tell him Bill you said that. But anyway, I think Bill's on that course too. I'm not going to give up on Larry until he retires. I think he's just going to keep producing. And he just got re-upped for one more year. So um, I think he is just a burner, and I don't feel like he's physical enough. So I think, once again, that's going to limit his targets. But he does have a very good and stable quarterback situation with Andrew Luck. That's something that cannot be undervalued when you're looking at receivers. Is Are they going to be working with the same quarterback for the next handful of years? Uh, yes, and this is a good good uh, segue into how this is different from our dynasty dilemmas. I don't have another player that I can play up the quarterback because I'm doing the against points here. So I, I do hear you there, and I do like that. I, but I think he'll need to play the slot. He's going he's gonna to have to live and die in the slot. And I think, once again, that's going to limit his targets. But I think the Colts are going to run enough three wide, plus the fact that they got T.Y. Hilton, who's also a great deep threat. He's going to take most of the double coverages away. I think that could open things up for Dorsett out of the slot. <laughs> um, um, I also think that he's not an X receiver, so you can't expect him to beat cornerbacks one-on-one. I think it's, it's where he's going to be a little bit of um, a gimmick player. Um, I actually had the pleasure. I don't know if it's a thing, but I I just YouTubed Philip Dorsett Colts yesterday and it brought up a video of every single one of his targets from last year. And I know there's a Moncrief one and a TY one there too. So um, I, I enjoyed watching that, but I think he just seeing the plays, the, the ways that they tried to get him the ball. I just think there's 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 a lot of gimmickry to how they're going to use him uh, for, for big plays. And I didn't see him make too many uh, too many big moves to open up some big fields for him. He certainly had some big plays, but it's one, you know, he he was able to get speed against his own defense or whatnot. So I just worry about him in the man-to-man game, and he's not going to be able to depend it on to beat a corner one-on-one, I don't think. Might be true there, but uh, you, you look at the Colts offense and their running back is the 11th-year veteran Frank Gore. I, I think this team is going to have to rely on the passing game as long as Andrew Luck stays healthy this year. So, yeah, they're going to throw away more than most teams. So that'll that'll provide more opportunities. I think. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point. How we're 
sometimes you think receivers need a good running game. I think the the opposite could be true. The passing game could certainly open things up for Frank Gore. It's a good good problem to have there, I think, in, uh, in Indy. I just feel like when you look at Dorsett, I don't know if any people out there can honestly tell me they would choose Dorsett over his ADP counterparts, uh, younger guys like Devin Funches. Rashard Perryman, who are both obviously bigger receivers, could could profile as an X down the road, or even a guy like Nelson Aguilar, I think, who who obviously had his struggles last year, but I think he'll he'll be a much different player this year. I think all three of those guys have clear paths to being the wide receiver two at some point in time here in the next couple of years, and I just don't know if that's going to be up up in the air for Dorsett while while Ty and Moncrief are on this roster. Uh, any other thoughts there, Nick? Um, did you really say you'd rather have Aguilar than Dorsett? Because if so, I've got uh, Aguilar in uh, the cronies league. If you <laughs> happen to have Dorsett, I'll definitely trade you straight. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, just just a thought. I was really hoping. Um, I have Dorsett in the in the DFW sixteen. Uh, you don't have Aguilar there, do you? Uh, I don't believe so. No. Okay. Yeah, I guess that was the start. Uh, last year, so we'll see. Um, I was really hoping, I think I said like two or three weeks ago that I expected all the Colts receivers to have at least 70 to 80 targets, and I thought about that after I rolled off my limited target talking points. So I was like, gosh, Nick's got to bring that up, right? I, th- I thought for sure you would remember remember that, uh, but uh, I lucked out, and then I just put my own foot in my mouth. So there you go. Um <laughs> Moving back, like I said, uh, Ricky Cobb's going to be joining us here in about 20 minutes from the Super 70s podcast, uh, Super 70s sports podcast. Excuse me. Let's do a little dynasty trade analysis. Now, I only had two this week because we have a lot on the dock. And, of course, there's a whole bunch of trades that happened here in some of the leagues that we're in over the last couple of weeks. So if you're listening and wanting us to talk about one of those trades, we're going to get to them next week. We, but we'll probably do a little heavy on the trades next week since we get closer to the season. But, uh, uh, just a couple this week. Uh, one that happened right after the podcast last week is I sent uh, Marcus Wheaton and a third-round pick for Brashard Perryman to our buddy Bill Latin in DFW 36. What do you think about that, Nick? I, I definitely understand both sides of the trade. I think it's a very fair value. Um, you know, with Brashard Perryman, you're taking on a lot more risk, of course, since he's pretty much completely unproven pro level. So because of that fact, I will take the safer side with the Marcus Wheaton and the third round pick, but I definitely understand both sides as uh, angles in this trade. Uh, now the ongoing backstory of this, I got, he, Bill actually got Perryman for a third round pick during the rookie draft this year. I got that third round pick. I traded to Bill for, I traded Danny Trevathan away to Dwayne Brown, and I got Kevin Mincher and a third-round pick. So that's that's the story of all the, the pickets uh, there. But uh, the way I look at it is, yes, I know there is a lot of risk, uh, but I think Perryman is obviously more of a developmental guy where Wheaton is a guy that I think – could be very good this year, but I'm just concerned about his production after this. I mean, obviously, he has a good year. He could play himself into a contract while while be at Pittsburgh or maybe somebody else, somewhere else, excuse me. But uh, I just think 
the ceiling is high for Wheaton this year, and I don't know about it next year. And I and maybe I should have held on to him, but I I don't I don't know if I was going to get a better value out of him. And and I know I know I gave a third round pick there, but I still have one too. So I like having those extra picks here and there to kind of leverage the trade, even if it looks like you're overpaying. It's just you know you still you still have the third in your pocket to to use on on a decent player, hopefully. Uh, but I just like having those extra picks around to kind of leverage the trade, which I'm sure is how I got that third-round pick in the first place there. So, um, like I said, I know there's a little bit more of a, a risk in pairing, but as my team is probably not as good as Bill's this year, I, I feel like I can have have him sit on my bench this year and, and eat up a roster spot and if I don't have to use him. That's that's totally fine by me, and if he does, you know, go go on IR because of the injuries, you know, he's, he's still not. I don't think out of the out of the woods on that. So I I got no problem using an IR spot on Perryman either, but he's not a guy that I'm going to be forced to play. And if he can develop into something, like I think he will with guys like Mike Wallace and uh, Steve Smith on the roster. Obviously, Smith a very physical player, Wallace a very speedy player. I think. Uh, Perryman can be both of those things. So I, I like what he can develop into, and I just like him long-term better than Mark Wheaton. Does that make sense, Nick? Oh, definitely. De- yeah, long-term, especially uh, Perryman, probably has a lot more upside than Wheaton. But I think for this season, uh, Wheaton I would prefer. Yeah, and I guess this this could be one of those rare, rare cases where, like Bill said, this is the, the win-win for both teams there. So. Um. I was a little surprised he did it. <laughs> I should say the back history with me and Bill is that we've had several trade offers back and forth in many different leagues. I don't think we've ever actually completed one. So this is something I sent to him and he just accepted it like almost immediately. It's just shocked the hell out of me. I can't believe we finally <laughs> uh, pulled off a trade, but uh, we have different uh, player value ideas, obviously, but uh, we got one there and I use that extra pick to leverage it here. So DFW 16 trade, Michael Floyd, and Adrian Claiborne for Daniil Hunter and Devin Funches. What do you think there, Nick? Um, I like the size of the pick that Funches. Uh, you know, I, I know Funches is not proven, but with Michael Floyd, we pretty much know what he got, what he what he is. Uh, look at his last two seasons: uh, forty-seven catches and fifty-two catches. Both seasons just under eight hundred fifty yards. Both seasons six touchdowns. That's pretty much what you're going to get with Michael Floyd. So I think Funches provides at least the possibility of of higher numbers than than Michael Floyd does. I. I think I disagree a little bit there. I think um, I don't know. I feel like Floyd I, Floyd could be getting himself, you know, a number wide receiver one gig here next year as he is in a contract year. And I just with bunch of when you, I, I like certain players for what they have, but when you look at that Carolina receiving core as a whole, it just scares me because you don't know who is going to. Uh, rise up week to week, you know, if they, if, if an opposing team has, you know, uh, the back end of their, like a free safety that's vulnerable, you know, Ted Ginn could be the guy that gets the most fantasy points, you know, if it's, if they're, if they struggle in immediate, a guy like Funches or Benjamin could certainly have good games. I just don't know as a whole, like who's going to perform week to week. And I feel like Floyd, well, you know, we see players flop when they get that big contract, but I feel like Floyd could be uh, a, a go-to player this year. He had a pretty good year last year, and uh, he still sticks out as, as the biggest and 
youngest wide receiver in that uh, Arizona air raid type of offense. Sorry, I've been listening to too much uh, college prospect talk already, but uh, I feel like Floyd's going to have a good year. And Claiborne is, I don't, I don't know anything. Uh, he, I think he's just kind of a throw in here. And, and Daniel Hunter is still a developmental player. So I think it's a pretty fair trade, and I understand it. I think it certainly makes uh, makes total sense. And uh, I can't. I think this was – I can't remember who this trade was now. Um, I think it might have been Brian and Bill, but I, I could be wrong. Um and our website is still down. Anyway, sorry, I didn't say that a lot. Let's get to some bold predictions, Nick. Why don't you go first? We each got uh, three for you this week. What do you got for us? Um, I actually didn't come up with three. I thought we were just going to discuss your three. My bad. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I'll do um, <laughs> My one, Ty Montgomery, will be the wide receiver three in Green Bay in in terms of statistics at season's end. Any thoughts there? Um, I disagree. I, I think maybe we were just one year too early on the Devontae Adams, and I'm definitely not as high on him this year as people were at this time last year, but I do think that he will end up being the wide receiver three there as far as statistically speaking. And maybe his job by the end of the year gets overtaken, but I think as far as the year-long season totals, Devontae Adams is probably the third best. I I just feel like in terms of athleticism, I think Montgomery is just a little bit better than Janice and Adams. Adams is, is kind of that big body, you know, red zone, go up and get a type of player, but he's had those struggles with his hands. So that 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 concerns me. And I, I feel like where people are even talking about the Jared Aphroditus kid out of Wisconsin there who has yet to play a snap, I think, for Green Bay, but in two years, but I think I just feel like people are forgetting about Montgomery and they, they like to give like to make guys earn their due as a kick returner. And I think Montgomery is a guy that's going to certainly start to do that this year. Obviously they did that with uh, Randall Cobb. Um, I felt like they even did that with like a guy like Robert Brooks back in the day. So um, I, I think there's a, there's a a moment for Montgomery to shine in. I think it could be as early as this year. Um, LeGarrette Blunt will have 1,200 yards rushing, thus making him an uh, an RB1 in some fantasy lineups. What do you think? I think you are insane to trust a Bill Belichick running back out of New <laughs> England. I definitely am selling on that one. No, no way I'm buying a 1,200-yard back in New England this year. Well, this is why this is called bold predictions. Um, Yeah, I know people have been talking like it looks like, you know, New England's not going to miss a beat with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're going to do the same things that they want to do. But I I feel like they're going to lean heavily on the running game more than people think. Not heavily, but I think they're going to lean more on the running game than people people think because I I, I feel like they, they, they want to go, you know, three and one. And they don't, they don't want nothing else. With uh, with Brady gone, three and one is what they want, and I feel like, well, yeah, they're going to throw the ball. They, the, they'll take some chances here and there, but they're not going to be trying to uh, bury teams like they have in the past in the fourth quarter. You know, we've seen them, we've seen them kind of get in their own way by trying to 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 put put up a couple touchdowns on a team in the fourth quarter when they don't need to. And I don't think that's going to be the case. I think you're going to see uh, Blunt get to 
get 20 touches every game, well, especially during Brady's tenure out. And if they can keep him rolling, I think that's going to uh, help this team immensely throughout the season. And I know, and I'm not recommending people trust Blunt. I'm just saying it could happen. Um, what do we think about Will Ty, Nick? I, there's a handful of tight ends on this roster now, and we don't know who's going to uh, emerge, and we're still wondering about is Sterling Shepard going to be the wide receiver two to Beckham's one? Where's Victor Cruz's health? Can Roger Lewis do something? We have Anthony Dobble, the kid from Italy or France, I think, doing some good things in training camp too. So that that situation is murky, but I think it's a good situation to be in as we don't know who to cover, and I think that could help Mr. Will Ty win this job. What, what do you think? Rip down 60 receptions eight touchdowns, thus making him a fringe tight end, a top 10 tight end. What do you think? Well, I really hope you're right, seeing as I have Will Ty on a team that's uh, going to be defending a championship this year. Um, I'm not as not as optimistic, especially uh, reports that Larry Donnell's been looking pretty good in practice so far. So I think that the New York Giants tight end situation is definitely a wait-and-see type of a uh, type of approach to look at it with. And, by the way, I did come up with three on the fly if you want to hear them. Okay, I love it. On the fly with uh, Nick. Aloha, what do you got for us? Well, first I'm going to say uh, Aaron Rodgers is not going to be a top five quarterback. Yeah, you look at his last uh, few seasons in 2013, he missed uh, seven games. He only played in nine games, so that's 2,500 yards. Uh, last year played in all 16 games, but failed to reach 4,000 yards with Jordy Nelson hurt. Um, you know, we don't know what kind of player Nelson's going to be back after the injury, so I think Aaron Rodgers might just be slightly overrated going into the season. So... If he's not top five, who is? Is it Cam, Luck, Russell Wilson? Am I, uh, am I right? Who do you got? Breeze? Yeah, probably Drew Brees, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, uh, I think led the league in attempts last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you got a lot of guys that could uh, sneak in there past Aaron Rodgers if he has a slightly down year. So if he's not top five, he's Number eight. He'll be top nine. ten. I'm not saying I'm not saying yeah. he's going to be terrible. <laughs> I'm just saying maybe not top yeah. five. Oh, even with Ty Montgomery as his wide receiver three. Okay, okay. <laughs> what do you got? What do you got next for? Uh, next up, I'm going to say Josh Ferguson outrushes Frank Gore this year. Uh, Ferguson's a rookie, that I'm, you know, undrafted rookie, but I, I, along with some other people, are pretty high on. I actually turned down uh, somebody offered me a fourth round pick for him in DFW 36. Turned that down this week. And just with Frank Gore's age, I mean, the wheels got to fall off at some point, don't you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in the Josh Ferguson camp at all. I. Not that I, I wish him any harm. I just don't see it. I just think he's – I I didn't see anything pop off the film when I watched his college film, and I didn't I didn't watch every single game. I, I know I watched it probably three, um, but I just, I just didn't see anything pop off the page like, wow, this guy's going to be a, a player. And, and, you know, you're just saying leading Russell, so maybe he has, you know – 420 yards and Frank Gore's got 398 or something like that. Um, but I just don't, I just don't see it with Ferguson. I think he's more of a, 
a third down uh, slasher back type of thing. And I kind of feel the same way about uh, Kenyon Drake too. So we'll see, Um, you know, and there's other veterans on that team. And I, I think, I don't necessarily think the Colts are, are in a win now mode, but I think they have a team that could potentially flip the switch from what they did last year into a team that can make a deep playoff run. And I just don't know if trust in a rookie running back is in, is in the cards there. So, All right. And last off, um, yeah, I don't know how bold a prediction this is because I think the Chargers are going to basically force this into being a thing. But I'm going to say Melvin Gordon finds the end zone at least once this year, right? <laughs> oh my god, I hope it's like six. I take six touchdowns. Um as long as I knew the week they were gonna happen. <laughs> um, um yeah. You could you could do better than one. I, I mean <laughs> uh yeah, I, I think that what does concern me is I think that team's gonna not be good not like they're gonna be two and fourteen, but I if they're you know, if they're five and eleven I won't be surprised. I think, you know, I, I'm not going to bet against them uh, with that record. I'm not going to bet under five wins, but I, I just don't know if they're going to be a team. I just think everybody else in that division is, is pretty strong, and I think that's going to they're going to suffer uh, from that. I still think they're a few defensive pieces away uh, from climbing out into a back to a above 500 team, and Obviously, with Joey Bosa not locked up yet, um, we just don't know how that situation is going to weird. Weird out. Did you see that comment about Joey Bosa's mom said he wished he would have pulled an Eli Manning <laughs> into manager trade? Oh. Yep, I did. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know what what the deal is or what what Bosa. I haven't looked into it too much as obviously I've. I'm a Raiders fan, so if there's if there's an issue with a Chargers player, I'm not very very concerned. But uh, uh, yeah, I just I don't I don't understand what what could be holding this uh, situation up. So we got about five minutes before he joins us here. So um, why don't why, do you have any rookie bust candidates, Nick? What just we just thought, we thought we would come to the table with a couple today. Uh, anybody anybody? on your mind right now is a potential bust for year one here? Uh, well, I'm going to start with uh, Laquan Treadwell. You know, if we're talking redraft format, I think Josh Jackson is pretty much buried on Washington's depth chart. But long-term, I think uh, Treadwell, you know, he's playing with a quarterback who in year two only amassed 3,200 yards and 14 touchdowns, and his leading receiver only had 720 yards. Uh, he's DFW's third-ranked rookie receiver. I just think that uh, – just the situation that he fell into could limit his his numbers moving forward. Okay, um, we might get some hate mail from that because I think there's a lot of people all about uh, all about that uh, situation there. And I, and I hear you. There's there's concerns with Bridgewater. I think I think I probably like him more than I should. Um, and, but it, it's because of Treadwell. I think that. Is going to open up so much of this offense there. So uh, I, I'll disagree with you, but I, I will say this to people who are, are, are maybe angry about what Nick just said. When you're labeling bus candidates, it's got to be people in those first couple NFL draft, actual NFL draft rounds, because we can't be saying, oh, the seventh round pick is going to be a bust, or Keith Marshall's not going to pan out. He was a seventh round pick. It doesn't really matter. So. Um, when you're talking about bust, it's got to be guys that are potentially going to be depended on as rookies. 
So that's why I'm also going to point the figure at Will Fuller. I own three Will Fuller, Will Fuller shares, uh, but I, I I know full well that he he could be a, a boom or bust player, and he's a guy that's not going to be a PPR monster. He's going to be very touchdown dependent, and if if teams figure out how to how to chop him down, and you know he's excuse me going to go up against some physical DBs that don't want him to get to the back end of their defense. Uh, I think teams will be prepared for that. I think I really think Will Fuller could potentially be a very solid player for the first like five or six weeks of the season. Uh, but as teams adjust their defenses to him, I, I worry about what that's, what that's going to be like. So even if he jumps out of the gate, I think he could, he could uh, fizzle to the, uh, to the end line there. So any thoughts there, Nick? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a possibility, and especially, uh, you know, there's reports that he struggles with the press coverage, which ironically is a, a problem that uh, his fellow Houston receiver, uh, Jalen Strong, uh, has struggled with at times in his career. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, Houston wide receiver situation ends up panning out. Okay. What's, uh, who else you got for me? Well, It'd be too easy to go with Ezekiel Elliott, right? I mean, if he doesn't have 1,400 yards and 10 <laughs> touchdowns as a rookie, he's a bust, right? So, you know, I'm going to give you two guys, actually, both of them out of California. Uh, Jared Goff, you know, staying in the same state that he played his college ball in, uh, that's a lot of pressure, especially given the fact that he's going to be the first face of the new L.A. Rams franchise. A lot, a lot of pressure on that young man. And then also a guy you mentioned earlier, Joey Bosa, first defensive lineman taken in the NFL draft and probably most rookie drafts, but that holdout, the uh, starting to look really ugly. We we don't even know for sure if he's going to suit up this year. So uh, th- those would be my two uh, two more busts, Candy. Okay, well, this is maybe a little un... It's not necessarily a high, high pick, but I really have issues about how Noah Spence is just going to be year one and, and moving forward. I think he's got the good pedigree coming from Ohio State, even though he was kicked out of school. But I also feel like he's going to struggle in certain aspects because of his size. And maybe maybe it works out to where leverage is his his key. But I just I, I and I want to call him a bust because I see people taking him as like the second or third defensive lineman in rookie draft. So I really have issues with how Noah Spence is going to translate into this uh, NFL game. And and I I feel like. When a player like that with that weird history gets frustrated, I think that could be a could be a bad thing. No personal feelings against him. I just just don't see it. I think he's more of a situational pass rusher, and it's not going to be translating into good ID IDP there. So, well, uh, let's get to uh, Mr. Uh, Ricky Cobb here, Nick. Uh, we got Ricky on the phone. One second here. Ricky, are you there? I'm here. Hey, guys. Good. Uh, this is Ricky Cobb from the Super 70s Sports uh, Podcast. And i got to tell you right off the bat, Ricky, here, before we get to the cues we had for you, i I, I got to pump up your chest just a little bit because you're able to do something with your podcast that I think I've been searching for a long time to do. And, and I, I know this is going to sound overly dramatic, but your podcast, what you were doing, you were interviewing players from, from – a different era, you know, obviously the seventies is the, the main thing, but you had authors on like Jeff Perlman and your interviews basically are going to kind of stand the test of time. I know that sounds overly dramatic, but 
because these are these are stories that have already taken place. You know, as far as our like a podcast like ours, you know, you don't care about what me me and Nick thought about week twelve of the two thousand fourteen <laughs> NFL season. But what you do is you you get get these old athletes on and they tell stories that people have never heard before. You know, we we know we have people that write books and biographies and stuff, but what you do with that podcast with guys like Dale Murphy and Darnell Hillman, it's just it's such it's so cool to hear stories from the people that were there that you don't necessarily have heard before. So I, I totally appreciate that about the Super Seventy Sports podcast. Well, thank you. That's uh, you're much too kind, but uh, I, I certainly really appreciate that. It's 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 really enjoyable for me to be able to talk to these guys and maybe get a few stories out of them that uh, you know people haven't heard before. So uh, so I, I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it's it's good. And if you you can find Ricky on on Twitter at Super Seventy Sports. Or you can go to the Super Seventy Sports Podcast dot com and and check it out and see what they have going on there. Just just a lot of a lot of fun, and he posts stuff all the time on Twitter. And you're really into the the uniform changes and whatnot. And uh, so first off, off, I just kind of wanted to ask you. We talked a little bit a while ago about uh, maybe some just some characters from the '70s NFL, and I and I know you haven't had a an an NFL interview from a player from the seventies uh, quite yet, but is there any, are any just characters that stand out to you? Oh, I mean, uh, definitely. So, I mean, lots of, uh, lots of linemen uh, in that era that just scared the heck out of me. Even their, even their football cards uh, are intimidating. <laughs> uh, uh, you're, you're always so strong. I remember looking at his football cards when I was a kid and, and seeing the NFL films videos of the, of the steam rising off of his dome uh, on a, on a cold day. I mean, guys like that were uh, uh, certainly very memorable to me. Your, your, your offensive linemen back in that era, they, they, they had to wear so much padding and things like that on their on their uh, arms. I mean, it, it, it's just a, a a thing where the guys who were in the trenches in those days. They, I mean, it really did seem like warfare. Uh, so I, I certainly I certainly have a lot of uh, uh, respect and. Uh, you know, a little bit of uh, uh, sort of a <laughs> fearful reverence, I guess, for uh, you know your Jack Youngbloods and, and Gene Upshaws and those guys who were engaging in these 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 epic battles every Sunday. Yeah, the NFL film shot. I know you're talking about the steam coming off and you know the blood on their hands and coming down the nose. You know, we see that. Recently, with guys like John Ritchie and J.J. Watt, but that seemed like that was an everyday occurrence there back there in that in those seventies. Um, you know, you talk about those guys in the trenches too, and and I I'm a big Oakland Raiders fan, and they I I remember watching NFL films, and they talked about this how they would have their arms taped up, and one of the one of the Raiders guys, I want to say it was Matusak or or one of them, basically said that they would have the trainer wrap like a board in their arm, oh. not, you know, not like a two by four, but board that wasn't going to snap. And they would, you know, they would write when the, when the ball was snapped, they would raise their hand and basically just hit the ear hole of the offensive lineman. Uh, I think there was some concussions happening on back there too, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah was, you can count on that. Uh, yeah, that yeah was, absolutely. That's true. I'm, you, 
You know that there were foreign objects uh, uh, under some of that padding because you look at the offensive linemen of that era, and you know, especially you know, you're talking about guys who couldn't who couldn't use their hands, and so they 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 loaded up and and look for any advantage that they could uh, that they could find. And uh, as you're saying, I'm I'm pretty sure that some of those advantages weren't uh, weren't technically within the, the the rule book. Mm-hmm. And maybe they used metal rods too. I'm sure there was something like that going on too. Uh, Nick, do you have any questions there for Ricky? Well, as a skin fan, of course, when I think about the '70s, I think the quarterback controversy with Billy Kilmer and Sonny Jurgensen. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, or maybe any other quarterback controversies that were going on at the time? Well, looking at Kilmer and Jurgensen, that's uh, that, that's an interesting one for me because Sonny Jurgensen was a guy at the time that. That, that Washington acquired Billy Kilmer from the from the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Sonny Jurgensen was, uh, you know, probably something of an institution uh, in Washington. I mean, of course, the Redskins uh, didn't have a lot of great teams uh, during that era, but but Sonny was, uh, you know, certainly uh, a shining star and uh, you know put up some pretty gaudy passing numbers for the for the era. Uh, you, you know, the thing that I'm really struck by when I when I think about the the Kilmer uh, Jurgensen uh, quarterback controversy is that it would never have occurred in in today's climate because Sonny Jurgensen probably would have uh, uh, you know uh, the, put on a diaper and uh, the, you know begged to be traded when he heard that Washington was uh, even interested in another quarterback. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've got a lot we got a lot of sensitive guys. Uh, uh, today, right? I mean, Nick Foles and uh, and whatnot, guys who uh, are upset and don't, don't even uh, don't even want to have a competition. Uh, so I, I'm impressed with Sonny that uh, that that he he stayed put and and uh, you know accepted taking the secondary role to Kilmer, uh, you know, really for the for the rest of his career. I think. I think after Kilmer came to uh, uh, the the capital there, uh, Sonny maybe only started about another 15 or so games the rest of his career. But uh, you know, he accepted his role. He played well when he got a chance to play, and uh, he was a good teammate. You know, so credit to Sonny Jurgensen for that. Uh, but that just reminded me. I think I think you need to have a uh, Pat. Speaking to Washington Redskins in the 70s, you need to have Pat Fisher on your podcast. You need to hunt him down somehow. Um, okay, yeah. I'll put him on the list. <laughs> all right. Uh, he, he just has some great – I remember watching NFL films. He had some great uh, great audio clips about, you know, if you don't know who Pat Fisher was, he was a corner for Washington. He's about 5'7", 160 pounds, you know, soaking wet, I think, as they always said. Uh, they talked about him going up against the six foot seven or six foot eight Harold Carmichael and how he would tackle him. He, he would always say, "As long as I put my head down, as long as I get one of his legs, I got him beat." Because now he has no power. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the quite quite the clip, but uh, he was he was quite the character. So it would be interesting to hear some more stories from Mr. Pat Fisher there. So. Well, um, getting some getting some old school NFL guys on the podcast is, is definitely a priority. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'll be able to land a few of those guys. Um, I haven't. Maybe I haven't reached out, but I'm always looking for different people to interview. 
obviously finding finding awesome people like he was great but uh i know uh fran tarkington i think has some kind of foundation so he's on my list of people to reach out to so maybe you can find him too because he would be a great interview um but anyway i'll stop stop suggesting things to you uh, <laughs> i'll just keep listening um <laughs> no, that's all right i'm i'm always we, willing to take a good suggestion yeah we talked a little bit about um in our in our emails back and forth about wide receivers from that era and some of the gaudy reception, uh, you know, yards per reception, like Paul Warfield, I think he had 20.1 in his career. Uh, Cliff Branch is another guy. I think over 17 yards per carry. And I know John Gilliam for the Vikings had a year where he had over 22 yards per reception, excuse me, and he something like a, you know, 40 reception season and a, a thousand yards. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, how – and some of these guys, you know, Cliff Branch isn't in the Hall of Fame, and people look at their numbers and say, well, he only had, you know, 500 receptions, so maybe he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. But it, it was totally a different game back then. I know you said, you know, corners could, you know, basically mug wide receivers at the at the line of scrimmage there, and obviously it's it's a different game now, right? Yeah, it's, it's a completely different game, and so – you're not going to be able to uh, compare uh, apples to apples when you're looking at the numbers of certainly wide receivers and quarterbacks uh, in that era because the game has just changed so dramatically. Uh, the guys who, who lead in uh, yards per, per catch, I mean, th- those records are uh, they're kind of like the baseball pitcher records of the late 1800s or whatever. You know, nobody's going to win, nobody's going to win 511 games. You know, Cy Young's record safe, and I'll tell you right now, uh, you know, some of these guys who have career uh, yards per catch over over 20, and, 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 there, and there's a few guys who, who finished with uh, with over 20 yards per catch in their career, uh, that's completely safe, okay? I mean, other than, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's somebody out there that, you know, with two receptions uh today who, uh, who who might do that but if you if you have a very long career uh that's just not the way the game's played anymore so uh so you're right about that i mean uh, Harold Jackson is another guy who comes to mind when you're when you're thinking of these guys who had some of those you know 40 reception and and, and close to 1000 yard type seasons and uh Harold Jackson was a guy that i think he had some years where and, and he wasn't alone in this some of these guys uh 25% of their catches would go for touchdowns. Uh, you know, it was a vertical, it was a, it was a vertical passing game then. So, uh, so yeah, it's changed. It's changed a great deal. Like, as you said, Warfield and later in the seventies, guys like Wesley Walker, uh, Stanley Morgan is another guy who, uh, who had a tremendous uh, uh, yards per uh, uh, reception. So, uh, it's just a completely different game. I, in, in those days, if you caught, if you caught the, at least 50 balls, you had had an incredible uh, season. And, and today, 50 catches is, you know, that's like your that, that's not a great season for your slot receiver for some of these teams. So, uh, so it's it, 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 the the world has changed uh, in the NFL when it comes to the, to the passing game. Obviously, as as you guys are well aware. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick, what what else do you have there for Rick? 
Well, another way uh, things have changed is I don't think they kept track of uh, sacks as a statistic until I believe it was 1983, if I'm not mistaken. So I was curious how uh, some of the pass rushers from that, that era would have held up against the, the guys from the last 35 years who the staff that are actually kept track of. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a great question. Um, it, it, sometimes uh, when people are going through the, the sack list, uh, and obviously you've got to start counting from somewhere, so I get that. It's it's sort of like block shots in the NBA. I, I think that 73-74 uh, was the first season that the NBA kept track of block shots, and so they'll go through the block shot leaders, and you know, I always think in my mind, eh, what about Bill Russell? <laughs> What about uh, no. <laughs> what about the you know uh, what about Wilt Chamberlain? I'm pretty sure that those guys uh, are are near near the top of the list, but yet they're they're not actually on the list because we weren't counting it back then. So it's the same thing with sacks. I I know that there's some guy I, I I'm not I couldn't tell you his name, but he went back and attempted to uh, sort of like retro retro analyze how many. Uh, sacks some guys would have had in previous seasons, and there's some research out there uh, for at least guys from the uh, 1970s. And uh, I, I know that uh, Jack Youngblood is a guy that, uh, and you know, I mentioned Jack Youngblood again, but Jack Youngblood is a guy who would who would rank really high on the uh, sacks list were uh, were sacks being tabulated then, and obviously Deacon Jones who. Uh, no. In, invented the term sack mm-hmm. uh, is, is a guy that would be probably, if, if not the leader, Deacon Jones would be somewhere probably in the top five in sack. So Youngblood and Deacon Jones, among others, are guys that, that come to mind. And you know, obviously, you start thinking about uh, the, the 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 Purple People Eaters and and some sure. of the great some of the great pass rushes of, of that era. So you know that there are, you know that there are guys that uh they're they're sort of like ghosts on that uh on that sack list. They're not they're not officially there but their their presence uh, uh looms over that list because uh you know that if we had been uh able to tally those numbers that uh, they would be right there. Yeah, and I kinda of think the same goes with, you know, technology and I I think about it, I for a couple a couple years ago, I just wanted to see uh, my son watch Andre Dawson hit a home run because I couldn't mm-hmm. find and I couldn't find anything on YouTube because I just wanted to see him to see like the way his nose would snarl and just the power out of out of him and I couldn't find it. But you know, there's all these stills and stuff of him hitting hitting bombs, but not like an actual you know video of, of the whole swing. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing with like a guy like Deacon Jones. He's not going to be in the record books, but people now will look and see, oh, you know, Reggie White, Lawrence Taylor, man, those guys were fearful. Yes, Lawrence Taylor was an absolute maniac on and off the field, apparently, but (laughs) before that, Deacon Jones was one, I mean, he was, like you said, he invented the term sack, and you know, besides Dick Butkus, I don't know if there's a scarier player from, from the older era, and we don't even really get to see that because we can't watch you know the technology wasn't it wasn't like it was back then. We don't get to see just how how crazy he was, just what a phenomenal player he really was. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and you know obviously, uh, as you say, the quality of the of, of the film wasn't as good. And, and back in those days, they would just routinely they would they would they would tape over games 
they would put something. They, they would just. They needed to use that tape again. So uh, the, the the NFL game that aired on Sunday or whatever, the network would just. They would tape over it and put put another TV show on it or or next week's game. And so it's really sad that uh, that we don't uh, have the the capacity to go back and, 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 and see these guys and certainly see what they're doing. And, and, you know, and thank goodness for NFL films, right? I mean, at least we, at least we yeah. have some NFL films footage of, of a lot of this stuff. And, and, you know, I have a tr- tremendous respect for, for uh, uh, Ed Sable and, and Steve Sable and what, and what they did because they were, they were at the vanguard of any professional sports league in, <laughs> in, in being able to archive, this stuff but but even even so with nfl films it's we we just don't have the ability to 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 go back and really fully appreciate what what deacon jones was able to do and and see some of the uh things that he did the way that we can you know sort of meta analyze a jj watt or or somebody Mm -hmm. like that today and see what he's doing from you know every angle and 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 anal and analyze it. So it's just so, so those guys from that era, yeah, they're a little bit handicapped, uh, uh, it, you know, in terms of being able to to be uh, compared on a level play infield to the players of today. Yeah, nobody cared about the size or the forty time or the short shuttle. Just you block Deacon Jones. If you if you don't, we'll have somebody behind you to help you out. <laughs> that was pretty much how it works. Yeah, that was the plan. Um, yeah, Nick. Nick, did you have anything else there for Rick? Uh, well, we do a segment uh, best to, best player to wear X number of all time, and this week we're doing number forty four. So a couple guys we're going to talk about from that era: uh, Floyd Little and. Uh, and uh, Chuck Foreman. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on those two guys. Oh, wow. Floyd Little and Chuck Foreman. Well, they're both underrated. I, I mean, I, I realize that Floyd Little is in the, is in the hall of fame, but still, even so uh, I would say underrated. Uh, he, he's not a name that rolls off of people's lips. Uh, usually uh, that quickly, if you say great running backs of that era, but uh, he, he certainly was that Chuck Foreman is a guy that I've tweeted about uh, a, a number of times on uh, Super 70 Sports. He's he's kind of a personal favorite of mine, uh, a, a guy that was a, a, a solid receiver as, as, as well as a as, as a fine runner. And I think uh, if you know if, if fantasy football had existed in the 1970s, uh, Chuck Foreman would would have been a guy that I probably would have targeted because uh, I, I just really like his all around game and, yeah. and and Chuck Foreman and Chuck Foreman is you know, he falls through the cracks I I, I don't think that uh, I mean certainly certainly Minnesota fans he's never going to fall through the cracks but uh, for for a lot of fans uh, you, you know if you start talking great running backs in the 70s the conversation is going to go to uh, a lot of the names that we're used to it going to, and, and rightfully so, obviously people are going to want to talk about Walter Payton and Franco Harris and, and OJ and, and, and those kinds of names. And, and, and those are the names that, that you should start with. But, uh, but Chuck Foreman was a lot better uh, than I think uh, a lot of fans today realize. And there's probably a lot of, there's probably a lot of fans today that are under 30 that don't even really know who Chuck Foreman was. So uh, outstanding running back. Yeah, I mean, he had look at his as a as a running back, he had 
three years over three straight years over fifty receptions, and he had another sixty one yard sixty one reception year after that. Um, you know, and 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 th- two of those three years he rushed for over a thousand yards there too for the Vikings. So yeah, I, I I'm not a huge Vikings fan, but I, I do have a respect for the team as I live in the territory here. But uh, yeah, Chuck Foreman, you're certainly right. One that slips through the cracks. I, I, I have a friend a little bit older than me who grew up in the '70s, who still to this day, whatever, whatever we're doing, if we're playing company softball or whatnot, he wears number 44 for Chuck Foreman because it was, it was he was his favorite player, and uh, rightfully so. Yeah, just a phenomenal player. Any any other, um, uh, or should I say Walter Eugene Chuck Foreman? <laughs> I remember that from NFL films too. And you're right. I mean, I've said on this podcast. Uh, many times. I mean, NFL film raised me. Now, that's 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 who I am today because because of NFL film. So, um, and the other guys that stand out maybe as kind of uh, guys that would have been fantasy nuggets back there in the seventies. Oh gosh, um, it, from the standpoint of running backs, Lawrence McCutcheon is a guy that uh, I think is is sort of in that same vein as Chuck Foreman in that uh, you you don't hear you don't hear his name a lot today but uh but Lawrence McCutcheon put together a, a bunch of fine years for the Rams uh in the 70s so he's a guy that would he, he's a guy that would definitely come to mind for me as being uh uh underrated at, at the running back position uh, if you're if you're talking quarterbacks uh, I I uh, Jim Hart I, and Ken Anderson are two guys uh, I would say among quarterbacks that I would consider to be uh, uh, underrated. Ken Anderson, I think, uh, you know, actually has a has a pretty good claim on on being a, a Hall of Famer. Uh, if, if you look at his numbers, uh, certainly uh, a lot of those Cincinnati teams that he played on, uh, you know, weren't weren't that great. Although. Uh, Although he did have a Super Bowl appearance uh, in the '80s, but uh, there's just so many, there's just so many names from that era that uh, that I think that is, you know the further the problem with the problem with uh, uh, time moving on is that <laughs> uh, lots of times as sports fans, you know, the, the memories get kind of short and. The, the you know maybe, maybe it doesn't work that way for the greatest players. I mean you know your Walter Paytons and guys like that. But, you know I think you know Michael Jordan. If we're talking about basketball, uh, you know Michael Jordan gets better every year. Okay, <laughs> as time moves on in, in, in people's memories, uh, you know Michael jumps <laughs> a little bit higher. He was a little bit more awesome. And uh, you know, I think the same thing is true in, in any sport with the with the very 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 best players. They, uh, but uh, you know, aside from those guys, uh, you know, the, your you know just your very good players, guys who were down the list a little bit. Sometimes they just kind of get forgotten. And so uh, you know, certainly one of the things that is is kind of satisfying for me through running Super Seventy Sports is just. Uh, keeping some of these names out there in some kind of small way, you know, and, uh, in some of the underrated guys, those are my favorites. Yeah. I, I, I like the post about Walter Payton and I like the post about, uh, the big names because people enjoy that. And I enjoy that, but, uh, you know, I like to, I like to, you know, give a little tip of the cap to, uh, some of the guys that, uh, maybe don't get mentioned a whole lot. So those are the guys that are kind of near and dear to my heart. You're, 
your Chuck Foremans and, and, and Kenny Andersons and guys like that. Oh, uh, yeah, very good point there. And, um, yeah, you know, I think for uh, sticking with the uh, the Viking realms, for a lot of – for maybe a lot of people to put it in better terms, I mean, we saw the Buffalo Bills lose four straight Super Bowls, and I'm sorry to the Bills fans listening to bring that up. But um, <laughs> I think really the Vikings were – that type of team in the 70s they were a very good team and just could not get over the hump and i think had had they um done that we would have maybe recognized these players a little bit more you know uh, andre reed and thurman thomas jim kelly those guys are all in the hall of fame now and deservedly so but i think i think you know had the vikings come through you know we would talk about chuck foreman and and Fran Tarkington, I think, with a little, little more reverence, and uh, and they definitely deserve some, mostly. Well, Fran Tar- Fran Tarkington is is one of my on my very very short list of favorite NFL players. Uh, if I if I turn to my left from where I'm sitting right now, I uh, I can see an autographed Fran Tarkington helmet that I have over here on my uh, on my shelf. I, Fran Tarkington is still, I, I believe, eight all time in passing yardage. Now, he's going to get he's going to get eclipsed most likely this coming season by I think Eli uh uh Philip Rivers and, and Big Ben. I think all three of those guys are going to get him uh, barring injury and finally Fran will be expelled from the from the top 10, but uh, <laughs> the, the, but the era that he played in uh to to still be 8 in this, uh, you know, the NFL that has been pretty pass happy for for a long yeah. time now, uh, it's remarkable. I mean, Fran Tarkington, you know, threw for forty, and I I remember this from his football card when I was a, when I was a kid, forty seven thousand and three yards. I know that by heart, and mm-hmm. I don't know what that translates to in in today's world because you know Fran's last season was nineteen seventy eight. And that was the year that they really started to open up the passing game. So uh, he played almost his entire season really just in a, in a completely different environment than than what you see today. And certainly, you know, even when they changed the rules in, in, uh, in 78 and started to open up the passing game, I don't think that it was anything like it is today where if you just breathe on a wide receiver, it, you know, it's a flag. So uh, it, it, I can't imagine how many yards Fran Tarkenton would have would have thrown for if he was if he was playing in the environment that that we've seen in the 21st century. Yeah, and he was you know before Michael Vick and, and Elway, he was he was the first like elusive quarterback. I mean, you see NFL films of him just running for his life. And it's not <laughs> because right. his offensive line was bad. It's just because he was trying to open some things up downfield. Uh, but you're totally right. I mean, he has more over overall passing yards than guys like Dan Fouts and Joe Montana. And everybody else up there on the list is, is modern day besides um, Vinny Testaverde, who played for a century. And, uh, and obviously uh, – Warren Moon, who's deservedly so through for many many yards there in, in the actual NFL there. So, well, you well, know, again, Kerry Collins has more passing yards than Joe Montana or Johnny Unitas. So, yeah. I mean, no disrespect <laughs> to Kerry Collins, who did carve out 
who did carve out a, a rather fine career overall. But uh, I think that tells you uh, all you need to know uh, about how the game changed. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely so. So, uh, Ricky, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope we didn't keep you too long. Uh, phenom- phenomenal stuff, and we we like to pay homage to to the game that was. And you you were the absolutely perfect person to help us do that. We appreciate you. Hey guys, it was it was my pleasure. Thank thanks thank you both very much for having me on. I, I I've really enjoyed it. Okay, and if you want to listen to Ricky's podcast, uh, just go to Super Seventy Sports. Uh, super seventy super seventy sports podcast dot com is that right? Uh, yeah, you can you can go to uh, you can go to either you can you can go to that or if you go to super seventy sports dot com it'll 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 just route you right through to the podcast. Okay, and then just type in super seventies and uh, on Twitter and he'll Ricky will pop right up. Give him a follow and you'll get uh, wonderful uh, wonderful seventies lore uh, pictures all, all the time. It's good stuff, Rick. We appreciate you, but. All right, fellas. Thank you so much. Yep. And, and as always on the podcast, right up. If you just click on Ricky's name, you can go to Twitter and give him a follow. Or if you click on the name of the podcast, you can go to uh, straight to the website and uh, give it a listen. He's also obviously on on iTunes as well, so you can just download that on your phone. Just type in Super Seventies. Uh, good, good stuff there. And I can't wait to have him here, an NFL guy. He's just been doing the podcast for about six months now, and just just great stories there, Nick. What did you think about Ricky there? Oh, yeah, yeah, great stuff. Uh, very, one, of the, one of the more entertaining interviews we've done, I think. Yep, and he's, he certainly knows his stuff, and that's why we have people like that on. I know it wasn't relevant to the fantasy game now, but it's certainly – I always like to – like I said, like to pay homage to the people that back, back then and what they did there. So, um, any uh, – Ooh, it's time for Dynasty Dilemma, Nick. What do you think? Um, uh, forget, I, I'm actually going first as we got uh, Winston versus Derek Carr. Um, so let's get right into it here, Mr. Uh, so maybe I chose Winston so I could simply get excited about my Raiders while listening to Nick defend Carr since he obviously does such a very good job. But uh, Obviously, I like Carr, but I chose Winston because I think – he is actually more experienced in the pro style offense, even coming from college. Carr is from the wild, slinging west, where 80% passing offenses are considered conservative. Winston is already well established and has a successful running game uh, behind him as well. And I think he could mature at the same rate as Carr, even though Carr has 16 more games of experience than Winston. As a rookie, Winston went for over 4,000 yards and uh, 22 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. I believe he's only the third person in NFL history to throw for over 20 touchdowns and 4,000 yards as a rookie. But the most important stat to me there is the 15 interceptions. That is how much the coaching staff trust, trusted Winston as a rookie. Um, he surpassed 4,000 yards on just – 312 completions. Carr has yet to surpass that mark on 348 and 350 completions, respectively. The latter being with Cooper and Crabtree. Now, Carr did throw more touchdowns and a few less interceptions, but again, the trust in Winston, I believe, considering these teams had 
Both franchises are loaded with young talent on both sides of the ball, and Dino owners would be happy to have either. But when I think of quarterbacks that I can trust in my life right now, every single week, I think of Winston before I think of Carr. Nick, what do you got? Well, I will concede that Winston, uh, from a physical standpoint, probably has a higher ceiling than does Derek Carr, but I think the future just appears to be very bright for Derek Carr, who was vastly improved last year in his second season. His completion percentage was up 3 to 61.1%. His yards went up 700 from uh, 3,200 to almost 4,000 yards. His touchdowns jumped from 21 to 32, and this is all while throwing only 13 interceptions. And I also like his situation better. Uh, Mike Evans and Amari Cooper, Cooper, they're kind of a push. But I think Michael Crabtree has more left in the tank than does Vincent Jackson, who had under 600 yards last year and only five touchdowns in his last 26 games. And as of this time last year, I would have given the tight end nod to uh, Tampa Bay. But but it appears that uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins is not going to be the player we thought he would be. So I like Clyde Wolford's uh, ability more than I do Cameron Bratt. Uh, And on the field, I admit, these guys are pretty even. But the biggest tiebreaker to me lies in Winston's off-the-field history. Uh, Crab leg jokes aside, Winston was also accused of the far more heinous crime of rape while at Florida State. And while I have no idea what actually happened there, the fact that it's even a possibility scares me away from him. Plus, uh, Derek Carr never had a uh, meme-worthy moment on the field as bad as Winston in the Rose Bowl versus Oregon when he, just untouched, kind of fell backwards and fumbled. Uh, You you had to know I was going to bring that one up, right, Josh? (laughs) Better than butt fumble, right? Or maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, were you done? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um... Yeah, I I think it's very, very close. And like I said, you'd be blessed to have either one of these players. I I just I and I and I do like to pound my chest a little bit, knowing that I went through my whole my whole initial uh, defendants there and not that's the word um, not mentioned Mike Evans. I (laughs) I don't know if that was on purpose, Uh, but I think I made a very very strong point with the fact that yes, he's done that. 4,000 yard mark um, on fewer completions, but I think that just says the, t- the team trusts him more to put the ball up, and because it's, you know, on fewer completions than Carr, it's because they let him get the ball down field there, too. And obviously they have bigger receivers there in camp, but I just, I, I think in terms of how they're going to mature, and I didn't even I didn't even go with my ADP route here, that'd be interesting to look at, but I just think in terms of how they're going to mature I think they're very close, and I, I just like the situation slightly better from a fantasy perspective. I know I'm a Raiders fan, but from a fantasy perspective, I like the situation a little bit better there uh, with Winston and Tampa. Any other thoughts? Um, just that I'm going to go with the other way. I, I like the situation better in Oakland, actually, from a fantasy perspective. Okay. Um. I really don't like owning Raiders either. That puts too much pressure on me. <laughs> Especially, you know, I, I'm fine with it in in best ball leagues because I'm just like, yeah, 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 I had in my lineup and we went off, yeah. Uh, but uh, I just, I, I don't know. I, every time I feel like play them and then and, and they flop, I was like, what was that? Was that my head or my heart making that call? Come on, Josh, what are you doing? Uh, you're listening to uh, the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Uh, 
That was Ricky Cobb, in case you missed it, from the Super 70 Sports. If you didn't miss it, you need to go back and listen. That was absolutely phenomenal stuff. Uh, we are powered by FantasyData.com, and if you uh, are a fantasy player of any kind, you need to be on FantasyData.com. You pay a small monthly fee to get enormous, awesome stats that will help you trounce your friends in your leagues, and that, that is priceless absolutely priceless for you to beat up on your friends like that. So uh, check out fantasydata.com. Um, let's get to our email questions here, Nick. So this question has come from Russell. Our lads currently has Josh Perry and Jatavius Brown playing in the inside position. Uh, and that'll, is that likely to happen? Do you guys think they will both eventually be starting? Um, if you had to choose one linebacker, who would you invest in in Dynasty there for Josh Perry versus Jachavius Brown? What do you think there? Well, these are two very different players. You look at Josh Perry, he's a good player against the run. Uh, he could end up being just a two-down player because he's that kind of type of a specialized type of player. Uh, six foot four, 254 pounds, uh, four six eight forty. Pretty solid tackler, uh, but he's not as good in coverage. Whereas Jatavis Brown is, like I said, the opposite. Uh, he's only five foot eleven, 227 pounds, uh, really good speed with a four 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 forty. Uh, he went to a small school, Akron, as opposed to Perry. He went to the big school, Ohio State. Both of them from Ohio, of course. Uh, I think I would probably prefer the safer Josh Perry. Uh, just as a run defender, you would think you would be able to get the tackle numbers. Well, uh, well I do think Jatavis uh, Brown has a higher ceiling. Uh, his small size and the fact that San Diego only used a fifth-round pick on him, I think that could make him expendable or at the very least restricted to third downs or possibly move to safety. So if I had to pick between the two, it would be Josh Perry. But Brown does have a higher ceiling. Um, I do kind of echo your statements there about Perry, where he's maybe uh, maybe a two-down player. Um, I, I and I do like Jatavius Brown, but I think he's more of a uh, a plug-and-play linebacker, where he could kind of like I do feel like Devondre Campbell, who we we'll talk about here in a second, as a guy that could back up all the linebacker positions. And I know he's small, and he's a, a smaller, and a guy that can't necessarily trust in coverage. Uh, but I. I think in terms of speed and uh i like him a little bit better maybe perry's got the instinct advantage but i I like jatavius brown a little bit um a little bit better for for that aspect um i this team needs defensive players so uh if you you know if you can grab both of them i think that's not a bad situation there either um but uh i uh i think um I think I would choose Brown, actually. I, I, and I think Perry's got the clearer path to playing time, but I think long-term uh, Brown could certainly be the better player. Um, second question, also a big fan of being Ben Heaney in Oakland. Undersized, under 230 pounds, short arms, small hands. However, he does, doesn't does have in stature that makes him what he doesn't have in stature makes up for speed burst and elusiveness. Had a four four forty, six six eight three cone. I love the under seven second three cone. So yeah, that's a very good point there. Um, the other huge point on the docket here is Ben Haney has been given the green dot by the coaching staff. That means he is the one that's going to wear the helmet that communicates with the defensive coordinator. I think that means he's calling plays. He's basically been, already been named the captain of the defense. So you know he's going to be out there. I, I think um, 
I think he's a player that we all should have bought low on when we could have, and we're probably kicking ourselves that that we didn't. Uh, is he Mike Singletary? No, but I think he's a, a certainly a, a dependable player in terms of what he can give to your IDP roster consistently moving forward. I think you're going to see some very good things out of Ben Haney. Any thoughts there, Nick? Oh, I agree with you. And Oakland defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr. has been talking him up. And, you know, Norton probably knows a thing or two about linebackers as solid as a player as he was in his playing career. Uh, like you mentioned, Heaney's a little bit undersized, around six foot, 230 pounds, but very athletic. And he was good enough as a rookie fifth-rounder last year to take away the job from the veteran Curtis Lofton, who was released this offseason. And like you mentioned, when a team trusts a second-year player to be the signal, signal caller, pretty much the defensive quarterback, that speaks volumes. I think this is a guy definitely, if you have a chance to buy him, uh, go ahead and do it. Um, And I know this because of my buddies at the Black Hole Banter podcast, but they took the green dot away from a veteran in Malcolm Smith to give it to Ben Heaney. So that's that's saying a lot about, I think, how they think he can uh, mature. So, and he he is undersized, but I think, uh, I think he's, going to be a very good player and, and Oakland is setting up to where they're going to be depending on him. So I think you can feel comfortable putting him in your roster. A couple other ID, IDP guys here up, up up in the air, Nick. Any, any thoughts on uh, Stephen Weatherly or Devondre Camp? Well, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach on Weatherly. Uh, Seventh-round IDP picks usually aren't guys I'm going to roster until they've shown something. Uh, but Devondre uh, Campbell is somebody I would definitely keep an eye on. He's a fourth-round pick. He's got really good speed, and if he wins that weak side linebacker job, he could have a pretty nice fantasy value. Yeah, I, I, I've written multiple things about Devondre Campbell, so um, uh, every I want to, uh, to to remember that for the people who are wondering about him. Just search his name on our website, please. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I think he's certainly a player that's going to uh, translate. And it might not be year one. I think he's he's certainly a, a two, three years from now, a guy that's going to be a potential IDP uh, mainstay, you know, like a linebacker two or three type of guy. I don't know if he's, he's going to jump into the top 15 or 20 linebackers, but I, I feel like he's a guy that could be a very solid player moving forward. And it's going to, it's going to be maybe a bit of a struggle for him year one to get on the field. But I think, I think Dan Quinn is going to mold him into some very good things. I think I said, you know, KJ Wright type of feeling last week. So I, I, I still believe that. Um, as far as Weatherly, I think the, the metrics there are really good. And it's, it's very fortunate, I think, for his IDP stature that he is got the, defensive end designation and not the outside linebacker designation. I know that it probably has to do with the Minnesota scheme. Um, and I know that uh, Brian Robinson there played defensive end for the Vikings is obviously an older man and not going to be there forever. They do have Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin. So I, I like both of those guys, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a role for Weatherly to maybe get in some type of rotation there. Um, but I did reach out to uh, of my uh, trio of Vikings fans uh, that do not, excuse me, do not work for DFW. I have some guys that do 
Andy Carlson over at the Purple for the Wind podcast. Tim and his crew are, are at Vikings training camp, and they haven't seen much of Weatherly. So you know, they're right now potentially predicting that he is a practice squad guy, and that's probably not a guy that, that you want on your IDP roster. But I still think moving forward he's a guy to keep your eye on. You know, maybe maybe a guy to buy uh, next year or claim off waivers at the end of this year, depending, you know, if he can break through to that uh, – to that 53 man, but uh, not 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 a whole lot going there. And if I hear any more, I'll, I'll tweet out news uh, from my Vikings guys about uh, Weatherly. I know Brian Hawks is our guy at DFW here. Was also at, has a training camp report coming up, so we'll see. Hey, he has anything to say about Weatherly? But I, the Weatherly, I think he's like six four, two sixty. Does have a nice a nice four five forty time in some workouts. So I think there's a lot. There's a lot to work with there if he can get those uh, pass rushing dynamics. I just don't know when that's going to happen, and and we'll see. There, I don't think Minnesota's depending on him as a big part of their defense as yet. So, um, Nick, time for best number forty-four. What what do you got for us? Well, we'll start off at Cleveland and the Hall of Famer Leroy Kelly, uh, running back and kick returner, went to six Pro Bowls and had three straight 1,000-yard rushing seasons from 1966 through 1968. Uh, Pete Dretzlaff was a wide receiver and tight end for Philadelphia from 1956 through 1966, catching 452 balls and uh, going to five Pro Bowls over that span. Uh, another guy we talked about earlier, Chuck Foreman, began his career with five straight Pro Bowls as running back in Minnesota. Uh, Foreman was a strong runner, rushing for over 1,000 yards in 1975, 76, and 77, but was also a good pass catcher with 350 uh, career receptions, including a, a career-high 73 catches in 1975. Uh, we now think of the Hall of Famer Dick LeBeau as a fantastic defensive coordinator, but he was a pretty darn good cornerback as well, playing in 185 games for Detroit, racking up 62 two interceptions and making three straight straight Pro Bowls in his career, which spanned from 1959 through 1972. Uh, Next up, uh, another Hall of Famer, Floyd Little, went to five Pro Bowls playing running back for Denver from 1967 through 1975, rushing for 6,323 yards and 43 touchdowns, along with 215 receptions. Now, how do we choose between all these Hall of Famers? Well, our top number 44 of all time only went to two Pro Bowls, But John Riggins has one of the most iconic plays of all time, his touchdown run on fourth and one in Washington's first Super Bowl victory en route to winning the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, Riggins spent his first five seasons with the New York Jets before moving to D.C., and most Skins fans of a certain age at least know the story of how Riggins had decided to retire, so the newly hired head coach, Joe Gibbs, went to try to convince Riggins to come back, and in true Riggins form, the fullback opened his door that morning to meet Joe Gibbs with a beer right in his hand. Gotta love that. I mean, he is still one of the skin's most beloved players of all time, and his Super Bowl MVP, I think, solidified his status as the top number 44 of all time. Yeah, I don't know if there's a just a player who can match that. I mean, he had – and he only had, let's see, five – five different seasons where he went over a thousand yards, but they were in 75, 78, 79, and then 83 and 84 again. I mean, he had years in between, you know, he had back-to-back thousand yard seasons as a 34 and 35 year old running back. I mean, that's (laughs) insane. He had 24 touchdowns as a 34 year old running back. Um, Now, certainly the game was a little bit different back then as he did, 
went over 1,300 yards and 375 carries. Uh, but uh, that's still saying a lot to trust a guy uh, at that age. He just played for so long and was so phenomenal. Yeah, it's pretty pretty hard to outdo Mr. John Riggins. Um, I do want to mention Bill Wolski, the, the least number important number, 44 of all time, was drafted in the AFL and the NFL in 1966. Um, played fullback for Atlanta and um, had one kick return for 21 yards. So that's a pretty good career average there for Mr. Bill Wolski. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you just don't top Mr. Mr. John Riggins. I don't even – I was hoping we, hoping we could have some good uh, current guys, but uh, Maude Bradshaw and um, there was one other guy that came to mind. I can't even think of his name now. Um, Dallas Clark, maybe? Dallas Clark, yeah. Dallas Clark was another – Another new one, and then Matt Asiata, who's not necessarily anything, but he's the only current one that I can think of. Uh, Vic, Vic Beasley as well. Um, but, yeah, Riggins, Riggins was the man. There's really no way to, to go about that. He played, played 14 years as a running back in the NFL. And, you know, people will say, oh, it was certainly a different era, but it was a brutal era where – Running backs had over 300 carries, and passing was certainly second uh, second fiddle. So he he survived that, which is very impressive. You know, we talked about a guy like Chuck Foreman, another great number 44. He only survived seven years in the NFL. Riggins did it for 14. So that's that, that's pretty amazing. Um, and it's as far as I'm concerned, there's no other there's no other people in the discussion next to Foreman and, and Riggins. And you can debate that all you want in terms of what you got. But if, if you had the opportunity to put both of those guys in the same backfield, wow, look out. I mean, that would be way more than Michael Stott and Warwick done. I mean, that they would be like Lev Bell and, and Larry Zonka, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but obviously they're, they're, they're their own people too. And I do want to mention uh, – uh, one of my favorite players growing up, uh, Tom Rathman, the white, the, excuse me, the fullback for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. I believe he was on three of their Super Bowl teams, but he was one of those receiving fullbacks. Had 320 catches in his eight-year career, nine-year career actually. So I, I wanted to I wanted to mention him as, as a quality quality number 44. But nobody. Nobody tops uh, Foreman, but nobody really tops Mr. John Riggins there. I gotta gotta give it to the Redskin there. Love love uh, love that play you're talking about, and I love loved watching him play because it was just a it was a brutal experience watching him run over people, and I love absolutely loved it. Right? Definitely, and I, I feel a little embarrassed for not including Tom Rathman in that list because you're right; he was definitely <laughs> a uh, underrated part of that San Francisco uh, dynasty in the '80s. There. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, that is all we have for you today. A little bit longer show, but uh, absolutely love the stuff, from Mr. Ricky Cobb. Uh, we will be back next week. Don't have a dynasty dilemma or four against planned. It's been that kind of week for me, but. Uh, I do know I want to talk um, not rookie sleepers, but actual just just sleepers going into next year or going into this season. So we'll talk a little uh, non rookie sleeper action. How does that sound, Nick? We won't even lean on the rookies. <laughs> non rookie sleepers next week, and we'll do the stuff that we normally do. Hopefully, a little bit more dynasty trade analysis. 
Um, and then uh, the dilemma in the four against us, that situation seems to be going good. We love the email questions, too. Make sure you hit us up if you have any questions or you have a suggestion for four against. Uh, I would certainly welcome that. As always, good, good show, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. Take care.